0: 17. The next day started slow, much slower than one would expect after a day like the last one. Not that anyone was complaining, though. There was no hurry yet since they weren't sure how to get a hold of Nijoni's grandmother. Everyone slept in late, and Gemma was the one to suggest everyone just take a minute to breathe. After breakfast, there was a time of Bible reading, which Jack tried to get out of, but then realized he had nowhere to go. At the kitchen table, he sat between Dusty and Slade as Phil read a passage from Romans. There was some conversation about the verse and its meaning, which Dusty seemed very interested in. Jack found himself paying attention only because Dusty was passionately talking about what the scripture meant to her. He didn't really care about the words or the context, he just liked watching Dusty get so excited. Nijoni sat on his lap, a small puzzle laid out on the table in front of her. He helped her find the right pieces and keep them from ending up on the floor. After devotions, Phil left to open the store, and Gemma took Nijoni to a small, very small, second-hand store across the street to buy some clothes. Dusty went over to the diner to try and salvage what was left of her job, which left Jack with Slade. They ended up working together on a maintenance project downstairs for most of the morning. The linoleum near the drink coolers was peeling, and Phil had everything they would need to replace the damaged tiles. The hard work and concentration that the task required was good for Jack. For a short time, everything important was measured in inches and handled with a carpet knife and hammer. There were no questions about family, and Slade didn't seem in a preaching mood, and best of all, Jack knew exactly where his motorcycle was. Halfway through the job, Slade cut himself with a carpet knife. Phil had been nearby and offered to go look for some bandages upstairs. Slade went with him, holding a napkin over the cut that ran along his thumb. It wasn't deep, but the thing bled like crazy. I'm sorry if I get blood on your floor, Slade said, twisting around to see if he was leaving a trail. It's no problem. We have a mop and bucket, Phil said as he climbed the stairs. Gemma and Nijoni had returned some time earlier from their shopping extravaganza and were now in the living room going through their bounty. While Slade went to the kitchen sink to rinse off his hand, Phil went into the bathroom to look for band-aids. "'How'd you ladies make out?' Slade asked, turning on the faucet. "'I got a new dress, Slade!' Najoni exclaimed. He peered back over his shoulder as Najoni proudly displayed the denim jumper out in front of her. He grinned, nodding. "'It's beautiful. We bought shoes, pants, some shirts, two dresses.' "'Gemma told him, a beaming smile on her face "'as she lifted each article of clothing "'as she listed them off. "'My goodness, is there an outfit in there for me?' "'Najoni giggled, looking at Gemma, "'who was shaking her head, amused. Slade pouted playfully and turned back to the sink. "'Then behind him there was some whispering, "'and a paper bag rattled before Najoni "'came bounding into the kitchen, "'hiding something behind her back. "'Her smile gave away her secret. "'What's up, pussycat?' Slade asked suspiciously as he patted his hand dry. With no further ado, she stuck out her hand. Sitting on her palm was a small toy motorcycle. Is that for me? She nodded. Well, thank you, sweetie. Do you like it? She picked it out herself, Gemma said from the couch. Slade nodded as he took the toy and looked at it closely. It's great, thank you. Oh, I also got a new book, Nijoni said, and took off back to her pile of goodies. Slade took a seat at the table, holding his injured hand close as he set down the motorcycle in front of him. Nijoni returned to show him her new book, holding it so carefully as if it was the greatest treasure of all. Phil came out of the bathroom with a first aid kit and a bottle of hydrogen peroxide and set the items on the table. To make room, Slade pushed aside the purple and pink backpack but he misjudged the edge of the table and it hit the floor. The zipper had been open and the contents spilled out. Oops! Slade quickly bent over and righted the backpack. A book had fallen out, flopping open on the floor, and he pulled it towards him. As he lifted it by the hard cover, he saw something stuck to the first page. Upon closer inspection, he realized it was an address label. The name listed was Maisie Hillfire, with a street address in Metzlin. Using his fingers to hold the book while also keeping the page open, he turned it in Nijoni's direction. What is this? Nijoni peered at the sticker, but unable to comprehend what she was reading, she shrugged. I don't know. Grandma put those on all my books. Nijoni Slade asked carefully. What is your grandmother's name? Maisie, she replied without missing a beat. Papa's name was Howard, and my mom's name was Dorothy. Dad's name was Todd. Her eyes suddenly grew sad, and she turned away to walk back to Gemma. Phil was looking at him, and he turned the book for him to see. I think we have an address. Later, when Slade showed the address label to Jack, it seemed like the missing piece to the puzzle. Jack almost felt disappointed that the little adventure was almost over. Of course he wanted to get Nijoni back where she belonged, but he wasn't quite ready to say goodbye. By the time Dusty got home for her lunch break, everyone was practically bursting with excitement. Even though Nijoni didn't quite understand the importance of the find, she could tell it was exciting and went along with it. "'We found a sticker in my book!' she exclaimed before Dusty had even set her purse down. Dusty looked to the others for clarification with wide eyes. Jack handed her the book, already open to the first page. How did we not see this before? She gasped. We weren't looking for it, Jack replied. I even read that book to her last night and didn't notice it. Who found it? Slade. He cut his hand while we were laying down some flooring and he and Phil came up. Hey, Slade interrupted. It's my one claim to fame. Let me tell the story. Jack bowed out and allowed Slade to tell his story, with additional details added by Phil and Gemma. This is great, Dusty laughed. When do we go? We can go today, Jack said. Think your boss will mind you taking another day off? She swallowed, tossing the book onto the table. That's not going to be an issue. I got fired. Fired? Came the unified response. Jack glanced at the clock. But you just worked four hours. Another waitress was sick, so Eddie said I had to cover her shift. Then he let me go. Do you want me to talk to him? Phil asked. She smiled at him, but shook her head. I don't blame him for doing it. I didn't call or let him know I wasn't coming in yesterday, and I forgot that the day before, I had signed up to work a double shift. Well, did you tell him that you were caught in a storm, immediately followed by being held prisoner? Jack asked. Yeah, sure did. He said I still should have at least called. The others groaned. Oh, no, Gemma lamented. I'm so sorry, dear. It's all right. Dusty said with a smile, patting Nijoni's head. I mean, it's not all right, because I don't know what I'm going to do. It's not like I can just go down to the hiring service. We'll figure something out, Gemma assured her, moving to put her hands on Dusty's shoulders. Dusty nodded. And who knows, maybe it was time to move on. Gemma firmly squeezed her shoulders. God will show you what to do next. It was all a bit over Jack's head. These people really put a lot of stock in their faith. Was Dusty really okay with losing her job? Practically the only job a town like Moccasin had to offer a young woman. It was uncanny how much these people were like his friends at home. The earth could crumble under their feet and they would still smile, trusting God to help them. He saw Slade looking his way, as if saying, See? You could take notes from these guys. Jack just made a face that told Slade to leave him alone. After lunch, everything that was needed for the day trip to Metzlin was loaded up into Dusty's pickup. There wasn't much that they would actually need, but some extra gas cans were put in back, along with a cooler of bottles of water packed in ice. Dusty had learned her lesson and brought a small backpack with some extra clothes and other personal items. The most important item to be put inside the cab was about four feet tall and refused to let go of Dusty's hand. Jack invited Slade to join them on their quest, but the man declined. "'I'll see you when you get back,' he said. After everyone hugged and prayers of safety were offered, Jack, Dusty, and Ijoni struck out for Metzlin. Jack drove, taking a different route than the secondary road that passed by Mickey's shack. Metzlin and Steam Springs were towns whose boundaries butted up against one another, separated by a ridge line and a veil of pines." Comparatively, Steam Springs was middle class, while Metzlin survived just below the poverty line. To Jack, it was all the same, indicative of what he considered to be the essence of res life. But in his youth, he remembered the competitive basketball games and fights that broke out between the two towns. But even though there was some bad blood between the two, family members lived on both sides of the line, which created a muddled connection. As Jack drove out of Steam Springs territory and crossed a concrete bridge, they entered Metzlin, and it was like entering a different world. Mangy dogs roamed the streets, climbing over piles of trash overflowing out of city garbage cans. Homes here were held together by sheer luck and duct tape. The yards, just patches of dried yellow grass. Houses that looked like they should be condemned had one to two cars parked out front. Jack scowled, looking out the windshield with disgust. How could a person be proud to claim this as their heritage? I got into my first fight right there, he said, pointing to a square pad of cement on the corner. You lived in Steam Springs, right? He nodded, and that's what the fight was about. There were always fights going on between the kids from both sides of the bridge, which is stupid because after a few generations, everyone is basically related. Is it weird coming back? It would be if I gave a crap about this place. Dusty knew his snapping wasn't directed at her, but it was still shocking, and she clamped her mouth shut. She shifted in her seat to look back at Nijoni, who sat very still with her back straight, staring out the window. How are you feeling, babe? Nijoni frowned, replying very seriously. Do I have to go back? Dusty was at a loss for words and looked at Jack. He glanced in the rear view where he could just barely see the girl behind his seat. Would you rather go back to Mickey's? Dusty hit him in the arm hard. Why would you even say that? He glanced over, shrugging deeply as if her reaction was unnecessary. It was a joke. But really, what other options does she have? Dusty's cheeks grew warm, but she consciously settled her anger at his thoughtless remark. She leaned forward and whispered, She's been through too much. Threatening something like that is mean and could really damage her. I don't know what's going on with you being back here, but please try to be more considerate. Jack looked at her, a little impressed. He wasn't used to women calling him out like that. He hadn't meant anything by what he said. But then again, he'd never been around a kid like Najoni before with so much baggage. He quickly turned slightly in the seat. I'm sorry, Najoni. I didn't mean that. You don't ever have to go back to Mickey's. Ever. Will you forgive me for being so... He looked at Dusty. Apologies were not his strong suit. Inconsiderate, Dusty said. Jack nodded. For being inconsiderate? Nijoni had been visibly scared by his joke, but now her brow furrowed. What is inconsiderate? Now Jack shot Dusty a look. See that? She doesn't even know. She's fine. Dusty rolled her eyes, then leaned over the back of the seat and said, Sometimes people say things they don't mean, trying to be funny, but their words can hurt. They don't think about how their words can hurt others. That's what it means to be inconsiderate. You have to consider what you say when you talk to people. Oh, Nijoni said, long and thoughtful. Well, I forgive him. I like him a lot. They found the house at the end of a road backed up to a row of trees. A large overgrown field stretched out on the other side of the road. A 1973 green Plymouth was parked in the driveway. Jack parked out front, and as he shifted into park, the clicking of seatbelts coming undone seemed to make this all even more real. This was it, the moment of truth. He got out and turned, clapping his hands and held them out. Come on, little lady. Nijoni complied, crawling over the seat and let him help her down. Dusty grabbed the purple and pink backpack from the back seat, along with the bag of new clothes for Nijoni, and shut the door with her hip. Jack set Nijoni down, adjusting her shirt that had ridden up. She looked at the house for a moment, then quickly turned around. I changed my mind, she said, looking up at him, fully convinced. I want to stay with you. He grinned slightly, reaching out to chuck her chin. I know, kid, but this is where you belong. He urged her to walk up the driveway, and she obeyed, but refused to let go of his hand. Gathering in the tiny space on the porch, Jack reached out to knock on the door. When it squeaked and pulled open, they were met by a woman with fair skin and auburn hair. This obviously wasn't Nijoni's grandma. Hi, she said with a smile. Hello, ma'am, Dusty said, taking the lead. Do you live here? She shook her head. No, I'm just house-sitting for Maisie while she's out of town. The sound of the right name brought some hope. Do you know when she'll be back? I'm expecting her sometime tonight, actually. Can I help you with something? We really need to speak to Maisie. This is her granddaughter. The woman's eyes dropped to Nizhoni with a kind smile. "'Do you recognize her?' asked Jack. The woman gave Nijoni a closer inspection, but then shook her head. "'I'm not sure. I've only lived around here for a few months, and there are so many kids running around, it's hard to keep track of all their sweet faces.' Not feeling the need to go into any more detail, Dusty just said, "'Well, we'll just come back tonight. What time do you think someone will be home?' probably around seven. They thanked her and she waved, then closed the door. They turned off the porch and walked back out towards the truck. Well, what should we do? Dusty asked. Go back to Moccasin? We could, Jack mused, looking down at Nijoni. I say we go back to the store, Nijoni affirmed. He smirked. And then not come back, right? Yeah. Sorry, kid, but it can't happen that way. He looked at Dusty. I might have an idea. One of my sisters lives here. We might be able to hang out for the afternoon. Dusty straightened with surprise. Really? Yeah, it seems stupid to go back to Moccasin just to have to turn back around. Well, do you think she'd be okay with us stopping in? Dusty asked eagerly. Jack retrieved the folded piece of paper he'd written Joey's number on. The call went something like, Hey, Joey, it's Jack. No, I'm not home yet. Funny story, I'm in Metzlin right now, trying to help a little girl get back to her family. They're out of town until tonight, and... Really? You sure? Yeah, I remember how to get there. And that's the end of chapter 17.